0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Well, it's that time of the year again. It is time for everyone's least favorite sermon series. It always comes in the fall, about this time, end of October, beginning of November. It always lasts three weeks, and we don't like it, because nobody likes it when preachers talk about money. And so I dread it, and you dread it, and here we are together, dreading the next half hour or so. Full disclosure, it's not what you typically experience when you hear a money sermon, maybe with the folks on TV right? No promises. There's no, we don't have any kind of reciprocal, like if you give or make a commitment in a few weeks to give next year, we're not going to promise any sports cars, none of that. We're not going to promise a promotion. Don't expect it. Our giving to God is not transactional, like, hey, I'll do this for you. You do it for me. I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine. That's not our approach. So just, if that's what you're expecting, disabuse yourself of those expectations. I don't have any uh, handkerchiefs with magical apostolic sweat. So if that's what you were looking for, just prepare to be disappointed. What do we have? Well, we have an approach grounded in the reality that our God is generous. If there is something we can say about God, and we'll see that Scripture starts this way. One of the first things that gets revealed about him is his, this aspect of his character by which he gives, he gives, he gives abundantly over and over and over again. And if we take this presupposition that God is, or this, like, not presupposition, this revelation, he has revealed this about himself. God is a giver, he's generous. And if our assumptions, our presuppositions about discipleship is that God's desire is for His people to increasingly embody His character, and we've seen that on page after page after page of Scripture together, then that means we need to be thinking about generosity as an expression of Christian discipleship. So we're not cutting any deals with God. It's not going to be our approach. You can leave that to the prosperity preachers with the 1-800 numbers. They probably have websites now. I haven't watched those guys in a while. They've probably kept up with the times. But back in the day, it was always a 1-800 number. God is a giver. And he invites his people to embody his character. Now, you may be thinking, all right, the passages we've just read don't mention money. They don't mention stewardship. They don't seem to be those kinds of texts. What gives? We start here, we start with God and Abram, Abe, because again, these are texts that reveal something about God's nature, about his character, about what he's like, about his posture towards people, us. And what do these texts reveal? They reveal that God is a giver. They also reveal some other things about God's character, about his being, about his nature. They reveal that he is not needy. They reveal that he doesn't need us. And they reveal that he does not need our gifts. Rather, he wants us to become givers. Now, the finance committee's probably feeling a little uncomfortable right now. Because they're thinking, we thought the preacher was going to help us make the budget next year. And now he's telling people God doesn't want us to be given, to, he doesn't want. He doesn't need our gifts. And that's exactly right. He doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need anything from Abram. He doesn't need anything from me. He doesn't need anything from you. But he does want something, not because it'll pad his account or give him some sort of comfort or prosperity. He wants something from you and from me because of the kind of people he wants us to become. He's focused on our character, focused on our vocation to represent him and represent him well. He wants our lives to tell the truth about his life. But we can only tell the truth about his life and his character if we embody his character, if we embody his generosity. So the thing we're going to see is we kind of work through this Abram narrative and reflect on how it really is different, like how Abram's experience of God is different from all the pagan notions of deities in the ancient world, we're going to see, it's going to become very clear, God doesn't need our gifts. Instead, he wants us to be givers. So here's Abram, and he's a pagan. I think we forget that sometimes. Like God calls Abram, he doesn't live in the Holy Land. He's supposed to go to the Holy Land. He doesn't know yet. Did you notice that? God says, Abram, I want you to leave your country. Leave your father's house. That's your security, by the way. Right? You're, in your, you're with your kinship tribe. You're with your family. You kind of band together. Maybe they're nomads. Maybe they plant a few things here and there. Whatever it is, you're with your people. And your people are your security. And if you head off by yourself, that's dangerous. It's economically insecure. It's all like you might get killed by somebody too, if you don't have your clan to protect you. So there's all kinds of vulnerabilities that God is inviting Abram to take up here. But he says, go from your country, go from your kindred, your father's house to a land that I will show you. It's kind of like we're GPS people, right? Like we like to know the destination before we pull out of the driveway. And here you've got God saying, Abram, I will, like you follow me, I'll show you the destination later. So again, the posture is one of trust for Abram. He's got to trust God. And here's God's, here's, here's the promise. Well, The first thing God gives to Abram is a promise. Here's the promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. Show you the land, make you a nation, I'll bless you. Make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Uh, Bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So if we follow the logic of that, right? God calls Abram and doesn't ask him to make an offering. Doesn't ask for a sacrifice. Doesn't ask for a ritual. Just gives him some instructions. here, Head in this direction. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to use you and your family to bless all the families of the earth. And this principle that we're reflecting on begins to emerge right here. God doesn't ask for gifts. He gives a gift. He gives a promise. I'll bless you. And the blessing isn't so that you can kind of, you know, build a castle and live inside of it with all the blessing. The blessing is so that you can take it and offer it to others. I'm going to give you a gift so that you can extend that same gift to your neighbors, to the nations, to all the families of the earth. So right here in this first call, in this first revelation, this is the first time Abram's met this God. Chances are, earlier in the day, he was bowing down before an idol. Ur of the Chaldeans is modern-day Iraq. Ancient Near East. Off amidst pagan cultures. And God reaches out to this one guy, reveals himself, and reveals himself as one who gives something to Abram so Abram can give it to someone else. And it's not just a transaction. It's not just a mechanism. It is an anticipation of this coming revelation that God's desire is always for his people to embody his character. I'm going to bless you for the purpose that you may offer that blessing to your neighbors and the nations, all the families of the earth. So God doesn't ask for anything from Abram except trust. He doesn't pass the plate. (laughs) He doesn't ask for an animal sacrifice. No incense. Just trust because God doesn't need Abram's gifts. God doesn't need any. Like Abram has nothing that he can give the all sufficient one. Abram has nothing that he can give the God who is life Himself. Abram has nothing that he can give the One who is completely sufficient in every way, shape, or form, eternally, past, present, future, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect love. The Trinity needs nothing from Abram. But the Trinity gives something to Abram for the sake of Abram's formation give it away to someone else so god doesn't need anything but he wants abram to be a giver why because that's what god is like that's what god is like now this shouldn't surprise us because if we rewind back to genesis chapter one As soon as God makes human beings, Adam, Eve, male, female, as soon as He makes them, what's the first thing He does? He blesses them. And then He says, look at what I've given you. And we're starting to think, (laughs) maybe this is a theme. Blessing and gift. Blessing and gift. God's posture towards His human creatures is what? Blessing and... I think you're starting to pick it up. Blessing and that's a little better blessing and gifts he blesses Adam and Eve and he gives them dominion he gives them livestock he gives them forests he gives them fruit he gives them pastures he gives them the garden he gives them the world and the assumption is if they're supposed to cultivate the world right you've got the garden and the garden is walled it's like it's like like any garden You can go outside of it. And the assumption is there's this cultivated space and then outside the garden there's what? Uncultivated space. And so God calls him and says, I've given you dominion over everything and what I want you to do is go out there and cultivate it. Make it beautiful. Turn the world into one massive garden. I blessed you for that. That's your vocation. That's what I'm offering to you. I'm offering you everything. Instead of Offering themselves to God for his call in their lives, they insist on being their own king and queen. And the consequence impacts their vocation. God says to Eve, in pain, you'll give birth to children. And he says to Adam, when you go out there to cultivate the ground, you're going to find thorns instead of myrtle." and other lovely things. It's going to be hard. You're going to sweat. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard to have a family. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. They walk out of his best for them. That becomes difficult. It becomes deadly. Look, I've given you everything. Cultivate and make it lovely. They walk out of his best for their life, and it becomes toil and thorny. And death spreads across God's good world. God gave blessing and a, and, and a world so that human beings could fill the world with God's blessing. God doesn't need their gifts. He wants them to be givers. He wants them to give it life and cultivation and flourishing instead they rebel and when people who are in charge of things rebel it unleashes a disaster in everything under their authority we get to abraham i did it right? his name hasn't been changed yet called him by the wrong name abe we get to abe and god says i'm going to give you a family and I'm going to give you some land. Notice the correspondence there. Eve, it's going to be hard to have a family. Abraham, you're experiencing, you and your wife are experiencing that hardship, right? He doesn't have that's his complaint to God you haven't given me a son. God says, Oh, I'm going to give you a son. Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. Abram, I'm going to give you some ground for your family to live on. So again, even when human beings come in and mess it up, I'd ask you to raise your hand if you're good at messing things up, but nobody wants to do confession right now, I'm sure. Like, But we're good at it, right? We'll just say corporately, we're all really good at messing things up. It goes all the way back to Adam. Messed it up. But God, because he's fundamentally a giver and not a taker, says, I'm going to give you another chance. And it's going to come in Abram. I'm going to give him a family and I'm going to give him some land and reverse the curse that has to do with family, children, and land, thorns. God's posture all the way through it, even when we rebel against him, is one of giving, not taking. Because he can't, he doesn't need anything from us. There's no reason to take, there's no need. So he doesn't need our gifts, he doesn't need Adam's gifts, he doesn't need Abram's gifts. He just wants them. just wants them. And he wants them to embody his character for the life of the world. God is a giver. And if we read the Bible and miss that, we're reading it with our eyes closed. He's a giver. Now, this reality that God is a giver is one of the things that distinguishes him from all the pagan gods. If you read through some of the literature and you go back and do your research on ancient Near East and their, and, their, and their rituals and their religions, one of the things you discover is that the pagan gods all have needs. They're very needy. They have needs and they have jobs, and if you want them to do their jobs, you better meet their needs. And you better watch out because they also have whims. They are kind of <laughs> like... A, one day they may like you, and the next day they may not. And so Abram's coming out of that world. Remember, he's a pagan idol worshiper type guy. And here's what life is like if you're a pagan idol worshiper type guy. You would go and you'd make your idols, or the priests in your clan would make the idols. And then they go through this ritual, where they kind of... Um, the ritual would bring the presence of whatever deity it might happen to be, sun god, river god, whatever, into the idol. Sometimes that involved breathing onto the idol, things like that. And then once the presence of the deity was in the idol, you had to maintain the deity. And the deities had needs. So this is this is what a day in a life of a false god would be like, right? So, so the priest would go in the mornings and, and wake up the deity, because you don't want them to oversleep. They've got... Th- You need them to do things, and you can't have your your God dozing too late in the morning. So they go and they wake them up and bathe them off, give them a good wash. Feed them meals twice a day, sumptuous meals, all kinds of good stuff. Smorgasbord for the piece of wood carved in the image of the God. They get them dressed in the mornings. It's almost like a baby doll or something, right? It's like, here's your, here's your God. And it's like, I've taken you. It'll just feed them some things and make sure they're bathed and washed and good. And you meet their needs because the gods have needs. And that's the world Abram lived in until he meets the God who reveals himself in Genesis 12. Who doesn't ask for anything. Who doesn't need a bath. Who doesn't need a meal. Who doesn't need you to to wake him up in the morning because he doesn't sleep. He never dozes off. He doesn't need anything. He's fundamentally different from every god in the pagan ancient Near East. The reason you minister to the needs of your false gods is because you need them to do things for you. It's very give and take. It's very transactional. We need justice. Somebody's got to keep order. We need prosperity. Somebody's got to make sure it rains on our crops. So we got to make sure our God gets his breakfast and he'll make sure we get ours. Aren't you glad your God isn't like that? And sometimes the gods have these capricious whims. You never, quite, you never quite know which side of the bed they're going to wake up. Like, you wake them up, but you never know if they're going to... Maybe they, some of us are grumpy when we wake up, aren't we, until we have our coffee. You better hope your God's not having a woke up on the wrong side of the bed day, because if he is, there's no telling what kind of terrible things would happen. So they kind of pay attention for the signs that could give them an, an idea that the gods were unhappy with them. One of the bad omens was an eclipse. Like, if there's an eclipse in the middle of the day, or the sun gets covered... Covered up, goes dark in the middle of the day, that means God is unhappy with the king. So here's a way they would handle that. If there was an eclipse in the middle of the day, sun gets covered up, goes dark when it should be light, that means God's unhappy with the king. So what they do is they pick a substitute to stand in for the king. Kind of like when presidents have body doubles, so that guy gets shot instead of the president, it's that kind of deal, right? Uh, <laughs> nothing new under the sun, friends, nothing new under the sun. So they get the body double, dress him up like the king, crown all the stuff, and hide the king somewhere else. Give the body double a queen. And they weren't, they didn't think they were tricking the gods. They were just, if you're mad at the king, like here's a substitute. Take this guy, not the king. And this went on for a hundred days. And the get like the sub-king, body double person, would just kind of do go through the, the motions. And then at the end of the 100 days, guess what they did? They killed the guy and offered him as a sacrifice to the God to appease whatever had upset whichever God they were worried about. Wouldn't you love that job? It's like you get to be king for 100 days and then it's over completely. No retirement plan, nothing like that. You're just dead. So notice the contrast. I mean, how different this is in the world that Abram comes out of and how much he has to learn about this new God that he's just discovered. He's not like all of the others. He's not like them at all. He doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't need a meal. He doesn't need to be bathed or clothed. You can't represent him with a piece of wood that you've carved up or some Gold or brass that you've shaped or formed with your hands? He's not like that. You can't do rituals to keep him happy so he'll provide for you. You can't manipulate him. You can't manipulate him. That's really what it boils down to, right? If God has no needs, we can't manipulate him. And he doesn't have needs. He doesn't need our offerings. He doesn't need anything. So, if God doesn't need our gifts, why does He require so much? Why all the sacrifices? Abram, right here in chapter 15, you've got several animals that are slaughtered and sacrificed right there. Now, what's going on here? Again, this is going to reveal something about God's character, this, this ceremony that Abram has. Here, catch, catch what it is. You can imagine how much blood is involved in this. God says to Abram, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you the land. Abram says, how am I going to know that? Like, what's the guarantee? And God says, here's what you need to do. You bring a heifer, right? cow, a goat, and a ram. A turtle dove and a pigeon. And the livestock, not the birds, but the livestock, they all get killed, cut in two. And this is the way it would typically go. This is an ancient, like an ancient world covenant ceremony. You can be glad that now when we do covenants, like brides and grooms just stand up at the front and exchange rings and don't have to take cows and cut them in half. But this is an ancient covenant ceremony. So if two people are entering into an agreement or contract to covenant, something like that, you get all these animals up. You both bring something uh, and you kill them. You slaughter them. You dig a little ditch, put half of the animal over here and half the animal over there. Blood kind of runs down into the ditch. And then you link arms and you walk through the, like the ditch of blood. Anybody ready for lunch? (laughs) Like, like this is, like, we're we're thinking, man, this is a a long time ago in a land far, far away, right? But that's what they did. And what they're saying is, if I break my covenant, may God do this to me. If I break my covenant, God gets to come after me with a butcher's knife. Now, here's the thing. In In the typical way the ritual is done, like, both parties walk through. But notice what Abram does after he cuts up the animals and sets up for the covenant. He goes to sleep, dozes off. God keeps talking to him. And then while Abram is asleep, after the sun goes down and it gets dark, we are told a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passes between the pieces. Now we know our Bibles well enough to know that when we get fire, fire is an image of God's presence, isn't it? And so what we have here is God making a covenant with Abram. But the covenant with Abram rests solely on God's faithfulness. God is the only one who walks in between the pieces. How's that for an image of grace? You're asleep. He will care for you. You have nothing to offer him. Abram's going to break the covenant. His family's going to break the covenant. God's posture is, I'll be faithful. When you're unfaithful, I will be faithful. When you withhold, I will give. Because I don't need your gifts. I will require much, but not because I need it. Not because I need you to give something to me, because you need to give something away so you can become like me. So we get this entire, like the, the, the story goes on, Abram's family grows up, they go into Egypt, they come out of slavery, and God gives them this law, and the law comes with a sacrificial system. But in each instance, the, sacrifice, the sacrifices are never about meeting God's needs, are they? They're about meeting the Israelites' needs all the way through. You sinned, you need a sacrifice. God doesn't need it, you need it. You've got your crop, bring a tenth of it. Not because God needs it, but because you need reminders that you depend on him. You got your best lamb? Bring it. But God, 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 my best lamb, I know some of y'all are farmers, and you know what the best lamb is for, right? Or the best mare, or the best whatever. will sire the flock for years, right? The money depends on that one and God asks for it. Prosperity depends on this unblemished, perfect specimen of whatever to reproduce. And if I give it to God, (laughs) well, he better show up and provide for me because I'm giving away my revenue, my best asset. God didn't need that lamb. The one who made everything, who speaks the Milky Way galaxy into existence does not need a lamb. He's good. He's fine. We need to trust him. Israel needed to trust him. So he says, give me that one, and then trust me to provide for you. They don't always do that, though, do they? Malachi has some issues with this. A few hundred years before Jesus, Prophet Malachi says to the priests, Son honors his father, servants their masters. If I'm a father, God says, where's the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due to me? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name priests say, how have we despised your name, O God? And God says, by offering polluted food on my altar. You say, how have we polluted it? You see the conversation, how it's working out here. Maybe you've had conversations with God like this before, but you get the idea. How have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Now implore the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. The fault is yours. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hands. For the rising of the sun To to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and the food for it may be despised. What a weariness this is, you say. And you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in the flock and vows to give it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is reverenced among the nations. What's happening there? God says, I'd rather you shut the temple down than bring me your second best or your third best or the one that eats everything and never grows and will never provide any income for you. Shut the doors to the church if that's going to be your posture. Why? He doesn't need it, does he? The one who reigns in heaven does not need that lamb. The one who reigns in heaven does not need our money. The one who reigns in heaven doesn't need our time. The one who reigns in heaven doesn't need our cakes. There's lots of cakes in there for the thing this afternoon. (laughs) Jesus does not need them. He's okay. The one who brings bread from heaven doesn't need us to offer him a single thing. What's going on here? God's saying... I've given myself to you, but you don't trust me. You're taking the lamb with the broken leg and putting it on my table and carving out your own security with the unblemished one. You don't trust me. God says, I'd rather you not give at all if you don't give your best. Now that's a stewardship campaign right there, isn't it, friends? You take that pledge card you're going to get and you tear it up and throw it in the trash, God says. Keep it. Burn it. Whatever. Unless it represents a heart of love and trust. God doesn't need our gifts. He wants us to be givers. And He gives gladly, and He gives joyfully, and He gives out of abundance, and He gives generously. Why? Because He's good. (laughs) Because He's perfect love. Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have spent eternity loving one another. Because they made us, not because they need us, but because they desire for their love to overflow into us. God doesn't need our gifts He wants us to experience transformation. He wants us to overflow with His life. He wants us to look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. He wants us to be selfless like Him. He wants us to be other-oriented like Him. He wants us to be generous like Him. And He wants us to trust Him to care for us when we do. So the question isn't at all, What do I have to give? Not in Malachi. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. The question isn't, what do I have to give? The question is, do I trust him? Do I trust him when times are hard? Do I trust him in an economic downturn or a recession? Do I trust him when inflation is on the rise? Do I trust him? And does his character overflow in my body? It's no accident that Paul frequently talks about God's gifts. In particular, Paul talks about God's gift of himself in Jesus. He speaks of Jesus. In Galatians, as the one who gave himself for our sins to set us free. Jesus is God, and he's the one who gave himself in love for us. His arms were spread, his flesh torn, his blood shed, the breath in his lungs, exhausted. He is the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And he is the embodiment of the God who said to Abram, I want to bless you. And I want to give you what you need to bless all the families of the earth. And he's the faithful son of Abraham who is... A blessing to all the families of the earth. And he's the lamb. He's the best lamb. The lamb of God. Spotless and without blemish of any kind. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away our sins. You can trust someone who will suffer for you. You can trust someone who will bleed for you. You can trust someone who will die for you. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we would pity him. He didn't go to the cross so that we would feel how bad we are that he had to do that and come with things he doesn't need to placate him and cause pity. He's already had pity on us. Jesus doesn't need our gifts. That's not why he died. He died to wash away our guilt, to cleanse us of our sin, to unite us to himself, to reconcile us to his Father and ours, and to give us his Spirit to dwell in clean temples so that we can embody his character. And his character is marked by blessing and generosity. God doesn't need our gifts, but he wants something for us. He wants us to be like him. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org/sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.